NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. The golden age of travel is back in the Palm Beaches. Relax on sun-kissed beaches with cleaner sands and fewer crowds. Experience the original, the one, the only, the Palm Beaches. Plan your trip at thepalmbeaches.com. If you are listening to this podcast, you may also enjoy my other show, Red Inca. It's a podcast about stories and issues in cricket, told by the experts who have followed it or the people who've lived them. We've had Dan Norcross talking about cricket commentary, Wright Thompson on his Sachin Tendulkar piece, and a bunch of cricketers like Andrew Balburnie, Tamal Mill, Sean Massoud, and Alex Hartley. It's a weekly podcast with a different theme for every show. They were only chasing 173 runs. While that is a tricky fourth innings chase, it's not a mountain. It's not insurmountable. But that's perhaps how it felt. And there was a good reason. India were playing their 22nd test match in England, and they were yet to win one. And this 173 wasn't just to win a test or a series. It was to defeat the country that enslaved and divided them. Their innings took over 100 overs. They sat and waited rather than dashed and took. Finally, the winning runs were scored by S. Abid Ali, a medium pacer who's been largely forgotten by history. But batting behind him was the three players who changed everything. They never even got into bat, but then again, the ball that Ali hit never made it to the boundary either. In 1971, an Indian team, including all four spinners and wicketkeeper engineer, toured England, where they had never won a match. And that's it. After two draws in the first two tests, a third was played at the Oval. After both first innings, the game was finally balanced. Then, with England batting again, up stepped the maverick Chandrasekhar, with bowling propelled by his polio-withered right arm. Welcome to Double Century. I'm Jared Kimber, and this episode we're looking at when cricket got slower because of India's incredible spin quartet. Ernest gritting his teeth. In comes Hall. What a huge one, and little Murray only just got a hand up to it. And now Sid Buller is talking at mid-on. Let's look there to Frank Worrell. The evolution of pace bowling was always coming. Larwood, Vos, Linwell, Miller, Hall, Griffiths, Lily, Thompson. The pitches were getting harder and faster. The bowlers, taller and stronger. The change to the front foot no-ball law meant that there was more bounce, and the lack of uncovered wickets meant that spinners were going to struggle more. So while the West Indies took it to a new level, way beyond normal cricket thinking, it was clear that pace bowling was where cricket was heading. But the Indian captain, Mansour Ali Khan Putadi, the Nawab of Putadi Jr., or Tiger, had a different plan. Skipper Putadi tells Indian News Review, We hope that uh, we shall win the next test match. We certainly haven't lost... Uh too much confidence because we feel capable of beating Australia and we look forward to a very interesting series against them. Fataudi's confidence inspired the Indian team to an honourable draw at Kanpur. One down in the series, would India do better at the Firosha Kotla ground in Delhi 
Puto D's father represented England and India. At 21, he was the Indian captain. Six months before he made his test debut, he had a shard of glass from a car accident render him a one-eyed batsman. Those who saw him bat say he was never truly the same afterwards. But even with that, it didn't stop him from making a test double hundred. It also didn't stop him from coming out on the MCG on a green top at 5 for 25 with a pool hamstring that didn't allow him to play on the front foot shots and hooking Australia for a 75 in the first innings and a 54 in the second. Those innings were just part of the legend of Tiger Patsadi. At the age of 11, he succeeded his father as a Nawab when his father was killed in a polo accident. As a young cricketer, Frank Woolley, the legendary player, had coached him. He studied at Oxford. He spoke French and Arabic. His wife was an Indian actress. He was bred to be a star, a test cricketer, and the shard of glass might have made him a worse batsman, but it gave him an even more cinematic backstory. Coming through for a single. Good throw is out. Wadika run out. And really, that was a wicket thrown away by the Indians. Absolutely no need for him to take it again. Superb throw by Dolivera right over the top. So, sensational start here for Captain Wadika, responding there to Sardisai's call. Great throw by Dolivera, right over the top. In 1967, England beat Tigers India 3-0. India were used to losing to England. Unlike Australia, England might have played all the Test nations quite regularly, but they still looked down on them. Wisdom certainly didn't take the smaller countries that serious, And it was certainly how many England fans felt as well. India, the country, was still trying to find its way. England had owned it, separated it, and milked it. And now India was trying to make one nation out of hundreds of societies. It was only in 1961 when India annexed Goa from the Portuguese. This was still a fresh young country, often trying to live within the English rules that they thought they had to, or trying to work out what being Indian actually meant. People knew what it meant to be Tamil, Punjabi, Bengali, but what was it to be Indian? Early in their cricket journey, they were almost led by the bodyline captain, Douglas Jardine, who was Indian-born, and they were led by Maharaj Kumar of Vijayanagaram, who averaged 18 at first-class level. And that doesn't really paint a picture of what a bad egg he was off the field as well. Even as players started getting chosen based on their talents and not their bank accounts, the cricket team was still coming along slowly. Like many newer test teams, they could find a lot of solid all-rounder types, but they really struggled with seam bowling, much more so when India and Pakistan split. Upon reading back early Indian cricket, there was a feeling in the early cricket writing they still played a very entertaining style of cricket, but perhaps without the players to pull it off consistently. Cricket was the national game, sometimes, hockey was at other times, and there is no official game in India but it was still the game that England had given them and it wasn't their own creation. Australia, South Africa, England and the West Indies all had built fast bowling weapons of mass destruction. Tiger Puttati did not. Certainly tossed high and a brilliant catch there by Alan Knott and that slow bowl by paying really good dividends, changes tactics, tosses it up down and he's got the wicket. In the third test of 1967 at Edgebaston, They lost by 132 runs. It may not sound like much more than a comfortable win for England, but the match was different. Indy had picked four spinners, largely because the touring seamers were all injured. EAS Prasanna, S Venkat Raghavan, 
B.S. Chandrasekhar and Bishan Singh Bedi. It would be the only time all four played in a test match together, but they would be known as a quartet from then onwards, or the quartet. Most teams at this point would use the spinner as one of their four, like having a plate of steak, sausage and chops, and then having a piece of broccoli in the corner. You knew you needed it, but no one really wanted it. Except Tiger Putadi. He used spinners, whether home or away, like other teams used pace. In this way, Tiger made Indian cricket, largely because he had to, and largely because he could. Instead of picking seam bowlers who at times were not that much better than club-level players and often picked because they could bat or field as well, he used spinners at test level and just backed them. It couldn't always work, and it didn't always work, but India had their first great run in test cricket. Spin bowlers in India, the Bedis, the Prasannas, they took pride as much in taking a wicket as the manner in which they took the wicket. And there was this great pride, almost arrogance, in saying, you know what, I thought him out. Well, that's out. EAS Prasanna was a planner, a schemer. After his early tests, he went off to study and get a degree. He was the brains of the operation. He moved batsmen where he wanted them. And when they came down the wicket, it was seemingly of their own will, but it was more because he had dragged them out. When they came down or played the big shot, the ball they thought was there to hit wasn't. It had dropped or drifted. His arm ball seemingly had a mind of its own, wobbling outside off stump. He was an off-spinner by title, but he was more of a fancy con man. Oh! Middle and off. This is an uncomfortable period for Keith Fletcher. Just three balls to go before lunch. He's gone. That unpaired. Caught by Salkar. What an over from Chandra. That must be lunch. Chandrasekhar had polio when he was a kid, and this withered his right arm. But his arm certainly fought back, because as a leg spinner, he was quick. And most of this was because of his frenzied last-second whip. His hero was Richie Benno, and he certainly had that kind of energy. When he bowled a good delivery, it was, well, unplayable. Ball zipped off the surface, and he only needed to beat you slightly at his pace, and you were gone. In the quartet of spin, he was the only leggy, so he was an important difference. The others were more reliable. He was more exciting. Well, it's gone up in the air and it should be a catch. And very easily and comfortably taken by a substitute fieldsman, Giantiel. Never in any trouble at all. And he's out, he's caught, but bad, a fine catch. Alapnod is out, Salka's done it again. Diving in from that forward short left position. Venkat Raghavan had an 18-year test career. In the NBA, they have an award for best six-man, essentially the player who starts on the bench but makes the most impact. That was Venkat's role. If one of the quartet had to miss, it was generally him. Playing as a spinner and coming in and out the side is one of the hardest skills to master, but Venkat certainly did. It wasn't uncommon for him to play only one test in a year, but he was a class act and a quality bowler and, well, the Ringo star of this group. A full toss, a rare full toss from Beatty, and bang! And that literally hit the coping on the balcony. Bowling. Didn't play straight that time, but that was beautiful bowling by Beatty, who bowled a quicker one that came back from outside the off stump, and Hughes is out, bowled Beatty for 17. Australia 5 for 84. And this really was a quicker ball. Just watch it. It knocks Hughes' stump out of the ground. Beatty was just a dream. 
Some left-arm fingerspin lover went to bed one night and their vision was Beatty, gently ambling up to the crease and curling the ball down to leg, straightening it to off. It was as if he floated up to the crease and delivered whispers. It was so pure, you felt like you could drink it. It looked so easy too. You could see a bunch of kids watching him once and running back to the maidan or park to try it themselves. Beatty would bowl all day with only slight changes in pace or flight. As a captain, you just pressed play and watched him go. It's sad thinking back to what his legacy is now. He's become a renter voice, and that changes how he's viewed looking back. But he was a fantastic bowler. And don't take my word for it. Listen to Jim Laker. My idea of paradise is lords in the sunshine, with Ray Linwell bowling from one end and Bishan Beatty from the other. Tiger's move was already taking a strength of India and doubling down on it. It wasn't mathematically a big change. Before 1967, when they toured, they used seam bowlers 34% of the time. Afterwards, it was only 27%. But the change was actually in who bowled. Before it was guys chosen to bowl seam. Afterwards, it was batsmen, often with a second skill. And the rest of cricket were moving towards seam, bowling 8% more. So India were choosing spin, just as everyone else was abandoning it. India beat New Zealand, and then they travelled to the West Indies and won there. It was clear that this new way of playing was suiting them. India had been playing test cricket for 40 years, but they hadn't beaten England in a series. Due to their constant struggles, they were only given a three-test series when they arrived in 1971. England had just won the Ashes thanks to Jon Snow, and they had also beaten Pakistan. They were a quality side. In the first test, India had played well. The biggest moment was when Snow clashed with Gavaskar. Snow was suspended, and the MCC was so upset that they'd eventually shadow ban him from tests. Gavaskar would go on to spend a career clashing with people. India were to chase 183 in the final innings of that first test. Gavaskar made 53, but no one else made runs, and they ended up limping to stumps on day five with two wickets in hand, and one of those was Chandra, and he really couldn't bat. At close, they still needed 40-odd runs. England had the better of the second test as well and would have won it had it not rained on the last day. This test took India's record to six draws and 15 losses from 21 tests in England. At the Oval, England batted well in the first innings, and India struggled, but their tail did some damage and they ended up only 71 runs behind. Day two had been rained out, the crowds had been low, and it was not a hype series. Most people assumed there would be a third and final draw. India was using the Venkat, Chandra and Beatty section of their quartet. Before lunch on day four, the English openers were batting fine when Brian Lucker smashed back a drive that Chandra accidentally knocked onto the stumps, running out John Jameson. The score was 23. With the score on 24, the Indians told Chandra to bowl his quicker ball. John Edrich never got around to playing his shot before he was bowled. Next delivery, Keith Fletcher was out as well. After lunch, India's captain, Ujit Vadikar, brought all the catches around the bat. Leg slips, dueling short legs, triple short legs, short cover traps, deep slips for Chandra, and he had them all. And England just couldn't handle it. They struggled with the spin all series, but they had just been better than their Indian batsmen. Now when the pressure was on, with fielders around the bat everywhere, the English batsmen disappeared. England made 101 in barely more than two hours. It was their lowest total against India on a pitch with no real spin, no freakish bounce, and no natural variation. The Indian quartet, well, three of them, had blasted England out with guile, if you can do such a thing. Chandra took six for 38 on his own. To Indian fans, to India, Chandra had potentially brought down an empire. So still these three short legs hovering just a few yards away from Illingworth, still in mid-off. 
and he's caught and bowled. Full toss, driven straight back at Chandrasekhar. Venkat slip, and look at Chandra. What a day, what a day for India. Yeah. At caught and bowled. Just as the England captain went, so now John Snow. The problem was that England still had to bowl and they had some real quality in their attack. John Snow took over 200 wickets at 26, and he had hurt the Australians with his pace, yet on the side also wrote poetry books. There was a time when Indian batsmen facing someone of his speed would back away. In this innings, he bowled 11 overs, taking one wicket and only allowing 14 runs. But it was the English spinners who were perhaps most likely to cause the problems. Ray Illingworth would end up with over 2,000 first-class wickets at 20. At test level, he was never quite that good, but he was an above-average finger spinner in an era when they were disappearing. And at the other end was Derek Underwood, deadly. Still the greatest spinner England has ever had, 297 wickets at 25. Apologies to Jim Laker if he's listening, and perhaps Swanee. His slow left-arm orthodox was incredible, and he and Illingworth bowled 74 overs as the pitch started breaking up. All the way along the line, there's been terrific tension in that dressing room all morning. But they're relieved now because they're just three runs away from the first victory ever against England on English soil. Oh, really, no question now. Still five wickets remaining. Three runs wanted. India's innings took over 100 overs. Their captain, Ajit Vandekar, was run out. And England just sat and waited. India kept fighting. But six wickets down, it was India who got the runs. He's cut that away and that's going to be it. It's going through for the boundary. Nobody bothering to chase it. Abidali cutting Luckhurst away for four and giving India victory here in the Oval Test match. 174 for six. A victory to the tour inside by four wickets. India were now a country that looked after their own future. They were a cricket nation that played the game their way. Tiger didn't even play in that series. He didn't have to. What he did last until today, India had no bombs. So what Tiger did was spin, more spin, the most and better spin than anyone else had. They had a swarm of spin. Compared to being bombed, this was like being killed with art, smothered by emotion, overwhelmed by beauty. In their entire career, his quartet played 233 tests. They took 853 wickets and bowled zero bounces. India did it their way. And you could argue they have ever since. 1971, India beat England and a great performance. They've been trying for 40 years to do so without success. Several times they'd been across here, hadn't really come close at any stage, but they did it in 1971 at the Oval. They did it with spin. Five spin bowlers included in the two teams in that match and 15 of England's wickets fell to spin, nine of India's. Double Century is a podcast based on my book, Test Cricket, The Unauthorised Biography. It is written and narrated by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes the entire thing exist, and our fact-checkers are Bertie Moores and Abhishek Mukherjee. This podcast is made possible by the people who support us at Patreon, so please help out there if you can. The links are in the show notes, thanks to everyone who already does. This is our first season, and there will be 11 episodes in all, so please help share and review to get this podcast out there. Thank you for listening. 
Social Podcast Network.